0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: If your food media diet is fueled by HRN, become a monthly donor today. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate.
2: Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you're listening to a special edition of Speaking Broadly. I am completely fascinated by coffee and don't know a whole lot about it, so I'm reaching out to some experts to teach me, train me, and communicate with all of you about coffee in America today. So my first guest is Helen Russell, who's a co-founder of Equator Coffee, and Helen has been there from the beginning she's one of those garageist coffeeists. Back in the early 90s you were selling real estate. I loved finding that out because you're such a great salesperson but can you just bring us back to the moment when you and your partner Brooke were sitting around drinking some espresso and this idea was born of what became Equator coffee
3: Yes, absolutely again okay. thank you so much for having me you know I moved out to California in 1989 when I met my partner Brooke. And uh, I was working for MCI selling voice and data networks, which is not very interesting because there's really no story, there's no taste, there's no creativity, there's no humanity, (laughs) there's nothing going on there. It's all underground. And it's just, if you can sell, you know, data services, boy, you, you can sell anything. So... At that time, we were in our early 30s, and uh, we went to the Northwest, and uh, we were, you know, trying to figure out what we wanted to do. And we started buying real estate, commercial and residential homes. And at one point, we had like 25 different units. And we were sitting at Pioneer Square in Portland in front of Starbucks having a break. And we went in and I got a mocha piled high with whipped cream and Brooke always drinks espresso. Brooke had traveled around the world as a child, has an amazing palate. And so we're sitting there and so she starts to describe to me sort of what she's tasting, the flavor profiles and telling me about the viscosity and that it was a very good pull and it had some crema. And I was like, oh, my God, Brooke, that's amazing. I said, I'm going to go in and get some more whipped cream. So I came out and we (laughs) laughed. And uh, I said, look, you know what? I said, you love coffee. I mean, you love the cafe culture. I mean, back in the day when you would sit in the Castro and uh, Cafe Flora and across the way, there would be Harvey Milk. And you had this romantic idea about coffee I said we should start a coffee business she was like yes let's start a coffee business so we drove back on the way back and we had a little napkin literally in the car we started writing about things and coming up with names and we ended up opening uh two coffee carts believe it or not called uh Europa coffee and downtown San Francisco and downtown Oakland. And how it started, Dana, I mean, you learn so much when you negotiate a lease with a building, and then you put together your menu, then you go out and you figure out what roasters that you want to use. And that was the part of Brooke, right? She's the product. She went out, interviewed all the roasters, did all the tasting. But once we get open and we we're up and running, and she wanted to share more about the product that we were serving, and she would ask the roaster, can you tell me more about what's in this blend? And they would. Why? Why do you want to know that? This was so unusual for someone to ask what is in the blend. Is it Central America, South America, East Africa? Where did it come from? And they're like, why do you need to know that? And Brooke was like, please just tell me. I want to share that information. And I wouldn't tell her anything. So I said to Brooke, you know what? Let's, Let's sell both of these locations and let's start a roastery. And you can be extremely transparent and
2: you can really get into this sandbox learning more about specialty coffee. And that's what we did. But what I think is so interesting and that that people might not know who are listening just because now you're like, well, of course you want transparency. And of course, I mean, everybody wants to know where their bean comes from and where their chocolate bean comes from. And it's so much part of our lexicon. But back then, you were sort of in the height of the Starbucks moment, which is considered second wave coffee. So, You guys are third wave, but can you just describe like what first wave means, what second wave means and what third wave means? And then we can put into context how amazing it was that Brooke was even asking these questions. Absolutely.
3: That's a great question. So first wave is, it's what I grew up on for sure, given, you know, where I am now in my career, but you know, Folgers, right? That is considered first wave. That is a Robusta product. It's harvested at sea level. And mechanically, pesticides, herbicides, and that's what we were drinking. That's what was on the shelves. That's what's on the shelves today, right? And it was the instant coffees, like the Sankus and the Brims of the world. That was first wave. Second wave was a big deal. Very, very big deal. It's also called... Uh, second crack, which is what we use internally for it's it's fairly dark. You know, in the early days, you know, when people came back from World War II and they get into the office coffee business and they would buy coffee, they would roast it super, super dark because they weren't buying really premium grade coffee. So if they roasted it really dark, they didn't have to pay a lot for that coffee and you got that roasty, toasty kind of flavor and it really disguised any imperfections with the bean. And so that's sort of where the second crack, dark roasted coffees came from. And then you get Starbucks comes in, right? And you get the different sizes of drinks that they have, and you have the uh, peppermint latte, and you have the sprinkles, and you have all these different things that really you know, identified what second wave was, was really piled high with whipped cream and caramel sauce and chocolate sauce and hazelnut and all these different sauces. And people were buying all these syrups like, Oh, I'd like a vanilla shot, or I'd like a peppermint shot, or I'd like a hazelnut shot and that was sort of our add on product. And we weren't pulling two ounce short espressos. We were pulling four ounces. And, you know, we're adding ripped cream. So this was second wave. This is what people expected. If you gave someone an espresso and it wasn't four ounces, which is just more water, they thought that they were missing out on something.
2: That also means your beans don't have to be very good, right? I've, I've never been a Starbucks human, so I've never fallen in love with like those flavors and that approach. But I imagine your beans could be really awful because the flavorings all from the sweetness, the sugar, the add-ins, the milk, and the baseline actually doesn't matter very much. I've been to
3: many farms that Starbucks purchases coffee from and they buy a sustainable product but they're not paying the premiums that a third wave coffee roaster. They are now though, in fairness, with their reserve concept. There's some in New York that you may have gone to where they're really honoring all the work of the producers. But back in the day, when they first started, they were up in the Northwest and they started to open up all these stores. It was really more about flavored coffee and whipped cream and, and large drinks. And now they have the blonde roast, which they never had before, which is a lighter roast. It was always a dark row. So they innovated as they went along. So third wave, what was so exciting about third wave and what we were so excited about and what we were doing early on, we were traveling to the farmer's gate. You know, we were doing direct trade before direct trade had a name for it. You know, Brooke was getting on a plane. She was going to Guatemala. She was getting dirt on her boots. She was going through that gate. She was sitting down with the folks who own the farm and talking about what they needed, learning more about what their practices were. And that was 26 years ago. So probably, you know, our third year in is when we started traveling to visit our farms that we were purchasing from. You can't do it in the beginning because you don't have the finances to get on a plane.
2: You now have relationships, I imagine all over the world, but I know like Panama, Guatemala, Ecuador, How did you pick the first place? Like, why did Brooke choose to go on a plane there?
3: Think about the different regions of the world as spices in your kitchen, right? And we had a very good relationship with two folks in Guatemala. So that was gonna be her first trip. It was an easy trip. We bought a lot of coffee from Guatemala and it was Central America. And those folks actually had an office here And Edgar, who is third generation farmer, he actually got a PhD here in the States. His dad was a physician in Guatemala and Edgar did a lot of work with the contact lens. And when he retired, he went back to Guatemala. But before he went back, they had the Chippicay, which was a Guatemalan coffee that they were sort of going up and down the streets, literally came in, pulled into our parking lot and brought in some coffee from Guatemala. We had a relationship with them. They had a home in Guatemala city and then they had the farm. So that was the first place that Brooke went because that made the most sense for her to go there. And what was interesting, I remember, because I traveled there probably three years later, their home in Guatemala City going out of the balcony and Edgar pointing to this incredible house on the left. I mean, this was this giant property that you would just never see in Guatemala City with guards and Jeeps and multiple, multiple homes. And I said, oh my God, you know, Edgar, who lives there? And he says, oh, they sell all their coffee to Starbucks. I said, wow, that is quite a compound. Uh, so it was very clear to me early on. I mean, uh, Guatemala has a very, um, it's a very dense bean. It's a binder for the blends. You can do a lot with the Guatemala bean. So I think probably that was another reason why Brooke wanted to go there. Um, and we had the relationship there. And, and as you know, when you travel to a place that you've never been, Uh, especially in Central America, to to have people pick you up at the airport, bring you there and then take you through the farms and you go out and you pick coffee and you meet with folks and then you watch the coffee come in and how they get paid and how the coffee gets weighed and, and you're with the children, you're with the families and there was a child that was born on the farm and they named the child Brooke Elena oh, for Brooke and Helen. That's which was so
2: <laughs> sweet. Oh my god. <laughs> they must be
3: twenty five now. So <laughs> you know, it's uh, so everything was very near and dear and, and it was unusual, right? Because, you know, the people that are picking the coffee didn't know where the coffee was going and and I remember Brooke brought some coffee with her, right? And they were like, Oh my god, like in the bag, like an equator bag, it was the coffee that we bought from them and they'd never seen that because typically at Origin, the coffee that is not uh, exported is, and it's usually the coffee that's, you know, hasn't passed the test to be exported, is, you know, sold in country, and it's not usually very good. Um, so <laughs> when we brought their coffee back, they were like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is what we're doing. So Third Wave, as that has developed, has, has been amazing. And when we started, there were only probably 30 coffee roasters on the West Coast. Uh, we were women-owned, which was very unusual and now with the idea of like a co-roasting space is similar to sort of co-working spaces. So there's probably now over 300 roasters. What's great about that is Third Wave is really the voice of the producer because companies like Equator and Intelligentsia and Stumptown and Counterculture have made it part of who they are, is to travel to origin and get that story and bring it back So the barista then can tell that story to the consumer. And that's really what third wave is. We are representing the producer and representing the work that they're doing.
2: Right. I think that coffee third wave, you know, is a very particular moment in time. It's a very long moment, let it be said. Um, But, you know, it's not the only food product where people are like, oh my goodness, I want to know so much more. I want to know where it's grown. And now people want to know how the people on the farms are being taken care of, right? I mean, it's thought of now, third wave coffee, the coffee that we're
3: purchasing, the folks that are producing it and bringing it in, it's a culinary product. It makes a difference, you know, how do we socially move in the world, our economic values, our environmental mission statement in terms of what we do and how we roast and how we buy, even on our own farm. So, you know, coffee being a culinary product and traveling to meet the producer... And telling their story, that's what's so different now. And we were a wholesale company uh, up until eight years ago. And 20 years ago, Chef Thomas Keller, his partner Laura, was the GM at the French Laundry at the time, had our coffee at Gordon's in Youtville. And I remember they were our first restaurant and our first chef.
2: That is kind of amazing. I just, I love the idea to have your first chef be one of the best known chefs in the country, in the world. What a fantastic place to begin. And your relationship with them continues to this day. But I'm curious, did they like reshape Anything the way you do business or?
3: Well, you know, I remember Brooke and I were in
2: Yonville and we were walking around and I said,
3: God, wouldn't it be great to have an amazing chef like Chef Thomas Keller? And I remember, Dana, where I was when Laura called. (laughs) I was sitting in my office with my headset on. Maureen, who's our executive vice president, was out in front of me doing invoices Looking through the window, Brooke is roasting coffee. And when Brooke is done roasting coffee, we're going to get up. We're going to get out of our seats and we're going to go pack boxes and wait for UPS, right? So I get the phone call. Maureen says, Laura Cunningham is on the phone from the French Laundry. I said, you're kidding. So I pick up the phone and I say, hi, this is Helen. She says, hi, this is Laura Cunningham calling from the French Laundry. I said, how are you? And she says, great. She said, Thomas and I were just at Gordon's and um, we had our meeting. We go every week. He loves your coffee. Is there any way you can come up and do a tasting? And I'm like, Oh my God. I said, yeah, sure. We can come this week. And so, and I ran out to Brooke and said, I can't believe it was just on the phone. And she was like, Oh, you know, she's all the noise and you know, the coffee banging around. She's in a sweat. Coffee's coming out. Coffee's going here and there. Coffee's everywhere. And so we went up there and we sat in the garden with Thomas and Laura and they talked about what they were looking for. And at that time they were just using hot water tower and French press. I remember Laura said to me, you know, we we got to get away from the French press because we keep breaking these French presses from gumps. <laughs> I said, oh, really? I said, That's amazing, right? And so, uh, so Thomas says, "Do you want to go in and take a look at the equipment?" I said, "Sure, let's go in." So we went in, and um, he says, "You know, I really want I want a brewer. I want the smallest batch that you can give us. I would also like my own blend." And then Brooke started asking him questions about what coffee that he liked and how he thought about it. At that point, he was very, very close with Dr. Ely. That was the espresso that he had been using, and that's the espresso that he loved, you know, when he went to Italy. And Brooke would tell him, yeah, you know, I know the farms that they buy from, and they, you know, they buy great co- coffee and great quality, and they buy a coffee, a lot of coffee from Brazil, and it's a very soft coffee, and that's why you like that particular profile. And she started talking to him about Ely's coffee, which was very funny. <laughs> I'm like, Brooke, you need to come back over here, because we need
2: to get our coffee in. So stop telling him how... The wonderful, Dr. uh, Ilysses. Right. You can sell data machines, Helen, but apparently Brooke is, you know.
3: (laughs) I, I always call her the closer. You know, I get us in there, and then she just starts speaking. You just fall in love with her vocabulary, and it's just dreamy. And Thomas was just, oh, my God, he was... Hook, hook singer. He said, well, once we get everything up and going, let's, you know, let's talk about my blend. So we put a brewer in there. And then as it turned out, we ended up moving to Yountville, and I would bring the coffee every Friday night, and drop it off uh, at the French Laundry. <laughs> and then I would go in and I would personally clean all the servers myself. And I remember one day I was underneath the sink in the, at the French Laundry and I don't know, it was early on because I wanted to make sure they had the, you know, the correct water filtration and the whole thing. And so he comes in and I, all you can see is half of me hanging out and he, he puts his head down and he looks he said, what are you doing down there? And I said, you know, I was just trying to take a look at, at your filter because we're going to change the filter out because, you know, this is not the taste and odor. We want to make sure you get the best filtration. And he was like, thank you, Helen. And he left. Um, and that's how our relationship has always been. And that's who we are as, you know, as, as coffee people and as roasters. We really want to honor the work that's done uh, on the producer side, what we do at the roasting side. And then when you bring it to the restaurant or the bakery or the hotel, from the moment that it is put in, whatever device it's going to come out of, that is the trickiest part of the entire journey until it gets into the cup. As soon as you pull that espresso, it has to go to the table. And you see that now in restaurants where in the old days when you would go to a restaurant and you'd have an incredible meal, they would give you an espresso that had no crema, had been sitting up in the bar. The bartender didn't know how to pull it. They didn't want to make espresso. They wanted to make martinis. <laughs> they were like, why is, it, why is the food and beverage director putting an espresso machine on my bar? Why? Do they want me to make this now? Oh my God. Right? And you hear the steaming of the milk. It sounds like a jet plane taking off. But now, it now is a whole different experience. And that's, that's what I love about Chef Keller. That's what I love about Chef Cray.
2: I was going to ask you about D- Dominique Krenn. She's been on the podcast. I'm a gigantic fan of hers, her sensitive spirit and her food that's really poetry and poetry that's really about food and the depth of our humanity. I'm just wondering if you have a Dominique story that parallels the the Thomas one.
3: I have a great Chef Krenn story. I have a great Tracy Desjardins story, too, when she opened up Jardin So we get a call. uh, Someone had worked at the French Laundry. He was now working at Jardin So they called us in to do a tasting. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so exciting, right? I've been reading about her, hearing about her. So Brooke and I are upstairs and we're dialing in the espresso machine because we know she loves espresso. So this woman comes in and I I have since talked to her about that, she says, Helen, I don't remember that. I said, oh no, this happened, Tracy. You came in with a ball cap turned backwards and I'm upstairs with Brooke and you ran upstairs and you opened the door and you said, who are you? And I looked at you and I said, who are you? (laughs) Because I had no idea who it was. All I knew was that we were meeting Tracy. And then we became great friends and uh, worked with her at Jardinere for 20 years. And you know, we were there the night that they opened and made the coffee. And she said to me, wow, you, you work with Chef Keller. That's amazing. And I was like, well, look at you. I mean, this is such an honor for us to be here with you. So that was a great story. And we met Chef Krenn, God, two and a half, three years ago. A friend of ours said, I cannot believe that your coffee's not at Dominic's restaurant. I said, you know, we never reached out. I mean, we built the entire wholesale business on inbound only. We never had salespeople go out and say, try our coffee. It's better than what you're serving. We just never did it. Wow. And you know, we built a quite a large business on word of mouth where people just discovering us. So she called her Dom. She's a very good friend of hers. I'm going to call Dom and why don't the four of us go out to dinner? We'll go to Bar and and we'll see if she's around, and she says she will be, so let's meet her. I said, great, let's do that. Now, we had known that Chef Cran was buying some coffee from, I think, Guatemala. i got to ask Brooke exactly, and then she was having this woman roasting it in Texas, which made no sense to me. I said, she's such a natural for us to work with her. So we were having some drinks, and she came over. She was introduced to Brooke and I, and she started talking to Brooke, and then she got a hold of our server and said, can you bring out the pour-over? I want Brooke and Helen to taste our coffee. And so he came over and he he was grinding the coffee at the table. He had the kettle and he did the pour over and we tasted it. And Brooke was very deferential. And even if Brooke is not over the moon, you think she was because she's giving all the positive things that she's tasting. And then Brooke started to talk about coffee and how she buys and what she looks for. And what the different ingredients and different brewing methods that bring out certain things, whether it's berry or citrus or floral or nutty or spicy, and asking Chef Cram what she's looking for. Next thing you know, Chef points and pulls up a chair, and our friend says she never sits down. So for 30 minutes, she just listened to Brooke speak to her about coffee. She said, oh my goodness, she said, I, I'm looking forward to coming to the roastery and visiting with you and... And Brooke said, it would be an honor. We'd love to work with you. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with what you're buying, but I would love to see you do a little there bit more. There goes Brooke with the, with the hard sell. I, I know. And this is just like the closer, right? So so fast forward, Chef Craig came and visited us. I think it was three years ago now. And uh, we did a tasting and a cupping. And had her director of coffee there and a green coffee buyer, and we started to sort of understand what she was looking for. We put together her Atelier Creme blend and her espresso.
2: With that, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
1: Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager you may have noticed that we have a whole new look. We also launched a new website that's going to make your listening easier and more enjoyable than ever before. HRN is the original food podcast network. And as we enter a new chapter in our 12-year history, I want to ask you to invest in HRN for the long haul. If you rely on this show to fuel your food media diet, become a monthly sustaining member today our members keep the voice of america's food movement alive and kicking your donations support this podcast along with 40 other shows on heritage radio network your contribution helps give hrn the security we need to stay on the airwaves throughout the pandemic and your continued support is allowing us to reopen our studio plus We like to give our regular members special treatment. So sign up to become a monthly donor and get access to our secret menu. We've gathered together exclusive discounts and offers from some of your favorite food and beverage brands. So you get to enjoy insider pricing on goods that will ship right to your door. Join our community of monthly donors and special deals will come your way throughout the summer. So can you make a gift of five or $10 a month? It'll show me and our whole team at HRN how much this podcast and food radio in general means to you. Become a monthly sustaining member today at slash donate Hello, this is
2: Dana Cowan and you're listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. We've been having a conversation with Helen Russell of Equator Coffee. And wow, I've just, I love listening to how this brand has evolved over time. And that brings me to a question, like, how are we supposed to distinguish between all of the incredible coffee brands that are on the market? What makes you guys different? Dana, that is such a great question. It's so similar to chocolate. It's so
3: similar to wine. And one of the things that defines I think who Equator is, is based on our relationships and our involvement on the farm level. Because there's been so many different changes with technology and water-processed coffee as you take off the the fruit of the cherry. Pulp natural, when we're leaving it to dry.
2: Okay, everything you just said to me, I'm kind of nodding, but I actually don't know. So what is a water-processed coffee bean and what is the pulp? Whatever.
3: Yeah, water processed coffee is you're you're actually putting the coffee into a tank of water to remove the outside of the cherry. And then it goes into water channels to remove the rest of it. And so it's a very clean way to do it. You know, you're not gonna do it in Yemen and you're not gonna do it in Africa. So they're gonna have what's called a dried coffee. So it's very, very different. Um, And that's where we get sort of the pulp natural. And you'll see a lot of that with the Ethiopian coffees, which like have a berry, you taste berry. And that's because the cherry dries on the bean while it's drying on African beds.
2: And what exactly is an African bed?
3: An African bed is a bed that's raised... And that's when you go up into the, to the mountains and you pick the cherry and then you dry it on the African beds.
2: That sounds very romantic.
3: Yeah, no, it's very, very cool. And I remember the first time it was two years ago when we traveled to Panama. We get up to the top of the farm and I looked down and all I could see was sort of this little railway track of red cherry sitting up on the African beds. So there's different, you know, methods, right? There's the dry method, which is the pulp natural and the wet processing method. You can do a whole scientific talk on sort of what it does to, to the coffee, what it does to the flavor, where it's indigenous in terms of how much water is available. And then when we talk about that pulp to protein project, we talk about taking that pulp and using it as a foodstuff to grow mushrooms. So all that discarded pulp that you see if you travel to any Coffee farm, you'll see piles high of pulp natural, and you can smell it, similar to if you go to a winery. So, there's different ways that you can sort of alter the flavor profiles at different origins in Central South America, East Africa, and Indonesia based on sort of what they have access to, what flavors people that are buying their coffee are looking for. So, Ted, who's our director of coffee, when he goes to Ethiopia or he goes to Kenya, I mean, he can talk to the folks in Ethiopia in terms of how long he wants that particular cherry to be in its drying, right, because the longer it dries, you're gonna get more fruit. And he's thinking, do I need this fruit? Do I need it as a single origin? Or I'm gonna have this fruit in the espresso. It's such a science and there's so much that goes into it. And I think that's the difference,
2: right? Thank you for getting back to the question that I asked you. I kept just, you know, derailing you because I think the process is so interesting, but yes, the, the question we were trying to get to was indeed, you know, what would be the difference between those of you who are very producer driven, who are traveling to the places to get the beans, and so, right, I think you're back to actually answering that. Thank you. And, it, and
3: it's hard to sort of, as you're walking down the grocery aisle, when you have a facing of 20 different coffee companies, right, looking out at you, it's hard for folks to make a decision. And then they'll start to winnow it down to, do I see an organic label? Do I see a Fair trade certified label? Do I see a B Corp label? That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a coffee company that, is conscious in terms of how they buy coffee, but it's really about the chops. You don't become a chef overnight. You don't become a coffee roaster overnight. You don't become a vinter overnight. You just don't. I mean, you can learn to roast coffee, and you can take a single origin like an Ethiopia or a Kenya or Sumatra, and you can roast it, and you can practice and play with sort of the roast levels. Then you can cup it, but. Being able to take coffee from different parts of the world, for example, with the Bouchon blend, because coffee has a seasonality, our people, Brooke and Ted specifically, have to maintain that same flavor profile throughout the year. And that's what separates the girls from the women, the the executive chefs from the sous chefs. Yeah. So having that expertise and that longevity in roasting coffee... Is how we're defined. When I'm sitting with Chef Krenn, or I'm sitting with Tyler Florence, or I'm sh- sitting with the head of global food services for LinkedIn, and they're evaluating 10 other roasters, the reason why we're going to get that business equator is because we have a story about how we buy, about what we do, whether, whether it's our food security projects, whether it's our microcredit loans, whether it's the expertise that we have seen on our own farm. Whether it's becoming a B Corp, whether it's traveling to Rwanda and meeting a young woman who lost her entire family to the genocide and becoming her surrogate parents and standing in for them at Carleton University and also visiting Cambridge two years ago where she's getting her Ph.D., Uh, Alice, and then traveling back to Rwanda with her when I met her in 2007, telling that story. You know, we're not just roasting coffee, selling coffee. What we're doing, we are traveling there. We are listening. We are curious. We're bringing those stories back.
2: It seems that you're incredibly supportive. You're a women-owned business, women-run business, and you're very supportive of women in the field. And the stories you told, actually, I don't know if it was by chance, but the people that you mentioned in talking about the stories of Equator were all women. Is there a particular commitment to women in the coffee industry? Yeah, I mean, you know, being women-owned, being
3: LGBTQ, we're always going to want to find something and make it better than what we found it. So if we are buying coffee from Nicaragua, and we can buy from a cooperative that is run by women, that we can pay maybe 10 cents more on a social premium that will give them the opportunity to own their own land because that's the initiative and the quality is there versus... You know, another cooperative on the other side of the hill that's maybe not owned by women, we're going to go with the women. You can really make an impact. And we did that with uh, one of the farms in Nicaragua, which we paid a little bit extra so they could buy their own land. So that's important. And then when I went to Rwanda and we buy from the Niaminga Women-Owned Cooperative, and I met with the president of the cooperative, and... I traveled out there and these women were dancing. They were in the sun for hours. And in the clay, they wrote out Equator. I got out of the Jeep and I'm like, are you kidding me, right? It's like, why wouldn't I race back home and tell that story and sell more coffee for them? Why not? You know, why wouldn't I want to do that? And that's how we think about coffee and we sell coffee. So there's more to just the coffee. Everyone can shop at Bergdorf, but if you can shop at Nordstrom's and Macy's and create something that values the producer, allows you to bring it into a LinkedIn environment where now you're in five cafes and you're selling more coffee so you can do more initiatives and more projects, that's the difference. Anybody can buy a $6 a pound green Kenya that a chef is going to love. I've had people say to me, I had LinkedIn say to me, Helen, why is your coffee 50 cents more per pound? I say, you, you know what, Joe? Because we're a B Corp. This coffee's fair trade organic. So we're buying green coffee at a above fair trade floor prices. We're adding on a quality differential. Then we're adding on a certification differential. And then, in order for us to be sustainable, we need to drop 10 to 12% to the bottom line because we're a B Corp. Everybody in this company has health insurance, everybody has an ability to profit share. And these are the folks that you want to be in here at training. And guess what, Joe? 50 cents more a pound is 3 cents a cup. Oh my God,
2: that's it? I'm like, <laughs> yes, that's it. It's only 3 cents? I've got to say, with all that, I was holding my breath going, ah, I wonder what that means for the bottom line. 3 cents a cup. You've been ahead of the curve every step of the way, as I said at the beginning. And what's next? What's next in coffee? What's next in certification? Like, What do you see ahead?
3: I think you're going to see a super seal in regenerative farming. And I think you've been reading about that, right? Regenerative agriculture. Of
2: course, everywhere. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah everywhere, right? And it'll make its ways to the coffee lands for sure. And so there are a lot of folks um, that are working on this right now. I mean, there's a lot of there's Bird Friendly, there's Rainforest Alliance, you know, there's Fair Trade. All the uh, Fair Trade coffee that we currently have is Fair Trade Organic. We were one of the first roasters in Northern California to sign on with Fair Trade.
2: I mean, one of the great things about coffee, I think, is that, I mean, at least in my experiences, I'm happy to try any bag once, right? I'll try it because of all the things you've mentioned. I'll try it because of good design. I'll try it because of the descriptors. Um so with each of my guests I always ask if they have a shout out to give to a woman who they believe deserves more recognition and I know that you've worked with some amazing women and being a women-centric business I wonder who you'd like to give a shout out to.
3: Yeah, I mean I get goosebumps when you ask me that, right? Because there are so many that I admire. Women who are entrepreneurs, women that support other women, you know, I love all the relationships that we have, but for this particular shout out, definitely Chef Cran. She's an amazing woman. She's an amazing person. Uh, she's a queer woman. I mean, you know, sustainability is super important to her. When we were talking with her about the bakery at Salesforce Tower, she was right on the right on the cusp of like, look, I'm not going to have any to go cups here. I was like, wow, <laughs> this was like, you know, two and a half years ago, you know, before people were talking about that.
2: I remember reading about that and that is astonishing. And I've been a part of some programs, you know, you essentially put a down payment or whatever on a plate, you get to fill your plate and then bring it back and get refunded. There's so much going on in that right now. And it's great that Dominique was at the forefront as she is in, in so many things. What do you think the hardest thing will be for coffee going forward?
3: Well, climate change is gonna make a huge impact, right? This is really um, quite uh, significant, it's very real. We've got Kamala Harris traveling down too. I think she's actually going to Guatemala, Guatemala City, because people are leaving their land, which means that they're gonna abandon their farms and their crops. And they're going to be on our street corners, which they are, and they're going to be at our border. So we have to do something about climate change or how we think about coffee. won't be the same way. And that's why you see some folks, even in Santa Barbara, that are growing coffee, right, because of the climate change. Who would have thought you could grow coffee in Santa Barbara? But you can't, apparently. You know, a lot of folks, a lot of cooperatives, they don't have the highest farm. And coffee grows at very high elevations. And the more it is affected by climate change, the higher you have to go. I mean, we just happen to have a 2,200 meter, which is 7,100 feet farm in Panama. Now, did we buy it because it was very high? Well, we wanted it to be high, but we weren't thinking about climate change. We were thinking about quality of the product, but that's going to be the big one. It's 2050, so we've got some time to figure it out at this moment, but that's what's happening.
2: Are there obvious solutions on the horizon?
3: There's a lot of things that are happening in labs. There are some folks that are growing coffee in a lab to try to figure out if we don't turn this thing around, how are we going to have these crops, right? How are we gonna keep coffee? And that's something that I could send you a link to and give you some information on, but I know that's underway and it has been underway for quite a bit with the folks from Texas A&M working on those things.
2: It'll be interesting to see in every part of the food system, what science solves and what science breaks. And, you know, we don't know the answers to that yet. Well, Helen, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. You do have so many stories I could go on all day or ask you to go on all day. Thank you so much for joining me on this special edition of Speaking Broadly, the coffee edition. And I look forward to staying in touch. Speaking Broadly is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage_radio. radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork.